You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Settle the Stars. Hey folks, this is Rachel Emerson. Our previous episode was on Aquila, which steers us right in line to see Cygnus. Seen gracing picturesque lakes with their natural beauty wherever they gather, the majestic swan can also be easily spotted among the stars as the bright constellation Cygnus, especially during evenings in the month of September. While the swan is traditionally viewed today as a symbol of love and devotion, the ancient Greeks associated this avian constellation with a wide range of stories featuring diverse characters, some of whom were themselves Cygnus, some of whom were transformed into swans, and some of whom have a foot in column A and a foot in column B. The most famous of these myths, and the one most often associated with the constellation Cygnus, is Leda, a tale that has been captured by countless artists, from William Butler Yeats to Michelangelo. The Leda in the story was the Queen of Sparta and the Swan, the incorrigible Zeus, who made a habit of romancing mortal women by turning himself into irresistibly attractive animals. According to the myth, the night of her union with Zeus, Leda also lay with her husband, King Tyndareus of Sparta. Later on, rather than becoming pregnant, as one would expect, she laid two eggs like a bird, which would have tipped Tyndareus off that something was up. The eggs hatched to reveal a pair of daughters and a pair of sons. The daughters included the future most beautiful woman on earth, Helen of Troy, and her sister Clytemnestra, who would go on to marry and later murder King Agamemnon, the leader of the Greek army in the Trojan War. The boys turned out to be the Gemini twins, Pallux and Castor. The former was the son of Zeus, and the latter was the son of Tyndareus. Throwing basic biology out the door for the moment, this explains why one of the twins, Pallux, was immortal and the other, Castor, was mortal. The Greeks also attributed this constellation to a popular myth involving Phathon, the son of the sun god, Helios. Faced with rumors of illegitimacy, a not entirely far-fetched scenario given the general behavior of the gods, Phathon went to Helios and demanded he prove his fatherhood by letting him have whatever he wanted. Seeing as Helios couldn't just take a DNA test to put the matter to rest, he had little choice but to comply with the boy's demands. And what did Phathon want? Oh, just the chance to drive the chariot of the sun around for a day. You know, that giant flaming ball in the sky that could easily obliterate the earth and all of humanity with it. But Helios's claim to fatherhood was on the line, so he went and got the keys to the chariot. Needless to say, driving the sun through the heavens isn't exactly the same as taking the family wheels around a cul-de-sac before you've earned your learner's permit. Phathon quickly lost control of the chariot and the sun swerved dangerously close to the earth, 
turning bobsled runs into slip and slides and chicken farms into rotisserie stands and dangerously far away blanketing places like Death Valley in snow. Fortunately, Zeus wasn't too busy at the time, and he caught sight of this happening and managed to thunderbolt Phathon out of the sky before the Earth was rocked with a second mass extinction. As outrageous as Greek myths sometimes get, this is probably the one occasion where an individual nearly wiped out all of humanity with a single reckless action. I mean, nearly obliterating the Earth with the sun makes Pandora's incident with the box look like no biggie. You better believe people stop questioning whether Helios and Phathon were related, though. Tragically, Phathon did not survive Zeus's thunderbolt and his body landed in the river Eridanus. His lover, Cygnus, came and sat on the shore and mourned his death until the most unusual thing occurred. Cygnus was turned into a swan. In Ovid's Metamorphoses, his inexplicable transformation reads like something out of a horror film. Quote, as he made complaint, his manly voice began to pipe a treble, shrill and long. Gray plumes concealed his hair. A slender neck extended from his breast, and reddening toes were joined together by a membrane. Wings grew from his sides, and from his mouth was made a blunted beak. Now Cygnus is a swan, and yet he fears to trust the skies and Zeus, for he remembers fires unjustly sent, and therefore shuns the heat that he abhors and haunts the spacious lakes and pools and streams that quench the fires." End quote. Still, things could have turned out worse for Cygnus. Phathon's sisters, the Heliads, who also showed up to the River to Mourn, were turned into a grove of poplars, so... Hey, I mean, at least he could fly. Phathon's lover wasn't the only Cygnus to be turned into a swan in Ovid's Metamorphoses. Ovid also wrote of Cygnus the son of Poseidon, who fought for the Trojans and came up against Achilles when the Myrmidons charged the shore. After repeated failed attempts by Achilles to drive his spear into his opponent, not on account of poor aim, but rather thanks to Cygnus's really good armor, Achilles whipped himself into a bloodlust. He battered Cygnus with shield and sword hilt, backing him up against a stone where he threw his opponent to the ground and strangled him with the chin strap from his helmet. Upon claiming Cygnus's armor, Achilles was startled to find Poseidon who had turned his son into a swan in his moment of defeat, and the lucky warrior flew away to safety. Achilles took the man's armor anyway and paid homage to Athena that evening. Forcing your opponent to turn into a bird effectively takes them out of the battle and therefore is still considered a win. A similar story finds another Cygnus, this time the son of Ares, the god of war, coming to blows with that other muscle-bound demigod, Hercules. Ares' Cygnus was not some noble warrior like Poseidon's, however. Rather, this Cygnus stirred up trouble with Apollo when he took over one of the gods' sacred groves like some hooligan and stole the offerings his worshippers left out for him. Eesh, some people. One day, while Ares and Cygnus were traveling in their chariot, they came across Hercules heading the opposite way. Apollo figured death by Hercules was as good a solution to his problem as any, so he compelled Hercules to challenge Cygnus to a duel. There was no more of a contest between the two than there is between an anthill and a boot. But as with Poseidon, Ares saved his son at the last moment by turning him into a swan so he could fly to safety. It's probably safe to assume that no other children of gods were named Cygnus for fear of dooming them to a similarly feathery fate. 
Hercules intersects with another myth some believe was inspired by the constellation Cygnus and its fellow avian constellation Aquila. The eagle and Lyra, which is sometimes known as Vulture Cadence, or the Falling Vulture, and that would be the myth of the Stymphalian birds, pets of Artemis that escaped to Arcadia, where they multiplied and went about terrorizing the countryside. The Stymphalian birds had vicious bronze beaks and metallic feathers they could throw at their prey like daggers. These man-eating birds went unchecked until it came time for Hercules to complete the sixth of his labors. Hercules wasn't able to get directly at the birds since the marsh they had taken home in wouldn't support his weight. But Athena gave him a pair of crotalum to shake, think the ancient Greek version of the castanets, and Hercules rattled them from the shore until the noise spooked the birds into flight, never to return to Arcadia. One final Greek myth connected to the constellation concerns the legendary musician Orpheus. Orpheus basically lived the life of an early Disney princess in that he could get animals, flowers, and any number of inanimate objects to start dancing whenever he broke out into song. As charming as that may sound, Orpheus' life wasn't all tap-dancing dandelions. To the contrary, his was a life of tragedy. Orpheus met his one true love, the nymph Eurydice, while accompanying Jason and the Argonauts on their quest for the Golden Fleece. They married upon their return, but tragically, Eurydice was inflicted by a fatal viper bite on their wedding day. Orpheus was not about to let death stand between himself and the love of his life. He descended to the underworld where he lulled the three-headed guard dog, Cerberus, to sleep with his lyre and softened the hearts of Hades and Persephone into allowing him to bring Eurydice back to the land of the living. Hades' one condition was that Orpheus must lead the way out and not look back until they had reached the surface. As with any proper Greek tragedy, however, Orpheus brought about his own doom when he second-guessed whether Hades hadn't in fact fooled him and looked back just as he crossed the threshold. Eurydice was there behind him, having not yet stepped over, and she slipped through his fingers and back into the underworld forevermore. Stricken with grief, Orpheus renounced any future love from women along with all of the gods, except for Apollo, the god of music. It was while Orpheus was paying homage to Apollo at the Oracle of Dionysus one day that he was beset by a fanatical, all-female group of Dionysus worshippers who, according to some accounts, were outraged over Orpheus' renunciation of women and, according to others, his failure to honor Dionysus. Either way, Orpheus was not leaving that shrine alive. He cried to Apollo for help and was changed into a swan and placed safely in the heavens alongside his lyre, the constellation Lyra. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. 
All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. On a more uplifting note, the constellation Cygnus lies quite literally at the center of one of China's most famous love stories and folktales, the cowherd and the weaver girl. The cowherd began life as Altair, the brightest star in the constellation Aquila, and the weaver girl was Vega, the brightest star in Lyra. The two fell madly in love despite the fact love between stars was forbidden by heavenly law. As punishment, the Empress of Heaven cast Altair down to Earth to be reincarnated as a cowherd, and Vega was sentenced to weave clouds of varying colors in the sky according to the changing seasons. Down on Earth, the cowherd became fast friends with the old ox in his care, who, unbeknownst to him, was actually the star Arcturus, reincarnated. Down on Earth, the cowherd became fast friends with the old ox in his care, who, unbeknownst to him, was actually the star Arcturus reincarnated, the brightest star in the ox constellation Bortes. One day, the ox told the cowherd to go to Belian Lake, where he would find the garments of some bathing maidens. He was to take the red garments, according to the ox, for they belonged to his future wife. Not being one to ignore the advice of a talking bovine, especially with the future of his love life on the line, the cowherd did as he was told, And a good thing, too, since that ox knew what he was talking about. That very day, the servants of the Empress of Heaven descended to Belian Lake for some very deserved R&R, and taking pity on the lonely weaver girl, they asked her to join them. But when the bathing maidens noticed that one of their garments was missing from the shore, they panicked and hightailed it back to the heavens, leaving the weaver girl alone with the garment thief. The thief, however, turned out to be none other than her long-lost love, the Star of Altair. The two married and went on to have two children before the Empress of Heaven realized what was up and ordered Vega back to weaving clouds in the sky. As the old ox lay dying, he told the cowherd to fashion his hide into a cloak that would enable him to follow his wife into the sky. This the cowherd did, and bundling his kids into a basket, he took flight for the heavens. Determined to uphold the law to the bitter end, the Empress used her hairpin to carve a river between husband and wife, thus creating the Milky Way. The rest of the stars grieved for Altair and Vega and their two children, who now stood separated for all eternity. Finally, the Empress had enough of everybody crying all the time and decided the family could be reunited for one day out of the year on the seventh day of the seventh month. Each year on that day, a flock of magpies would form themselves into a living bridge for the cowherd and the weaver girl and their two children to meet upon. The brightest star in Cygnus, a star called Deneb, is the point where the cowherd and the weaver girl meet. The three pivotal stars in the story, Vega, Altair, and Deneb, also form one of the most famous and most easily recognizable asterisms, the Summer Triangle. Despite each belonging to a different constellation, they are three of the brightest stars in the region. Deneb is part of another asterism too, one that's made up entirely of stars in Cygnus, the Northern Cross. 
Despite being the highest point in the Northern Cross and in the constellation as well, Deneb actually represents the tail of the swan. Its name is Arabic for tail, shortened from Deneb et Ajaja, which means tail of the hen, the bird first pictured in Cygnus' stars before the Greeks took over with their swan myths. A blue-white supergiant that's 20 times the mass of the sun and nearly 60,000 times as luminous, Deneb is one of the biggest and brightest stars in the region of the Milky Way. In keeping with the Chinese proverb that states the flame that burns twice as bright burns half as long, this brightest star of Cygnus, now just 10 million years of age, will likely go supernova sometime in the next few million years. The star that serves both as the intersection of the Northern Cross and the Swan's Chest is Cygnus's second brightest star, Soder, which, as you might have guessed, is Arabic for chest. A yellow-white supergiant, Soder, is just a little older than Deneb, relatively speaking, at 12 million years of age and is similarly approaching its eventual end via supernova. In fact, all five stars in the Northern Cross are nearing the ends of their life cycles, so enjoy this asterism while you can, because in another few million years, it might not even be there anymore. The head of the swan and bottom of the Northern Cross is Albireo, which is sometimes referred to as the Beak Star, as was the case in early Arabic and Egyptian astronomy. Albireo is a binary system about 380 light years away that's made up of a red supergiant with a distinctly golden hue and a blue giant, which combine to present a wonderfully colorful contrast. As bright as the star is currently, it's believed Albireo will come within 80 light years of us sometime around the year 3,870,000, making it the new brightest star in the night sky. Not long to go now, right? The wings of the swan and horizontal beam of the Northern Cross are formed by the orange giant Algena and the triple star system Fueris. Fueris's bright component is a blue-white giant nearly three times the mass of the sun. It completes an orbit with its yellow-white companion star once every 780 years. The third and much smaller star in the system is an orange giant just two-thirds the mass of the sun. Starting around the year 11,250, Fueris will sit directly above the North Pole, replacing Polaris of the constellation Ursa Minor as the new North Star for about 400 years. In addition to its brightly twinkling stars, Cygnus is also home to some pretty interesting nebulas and galaxies. Some of its nebulas, which all resemble their namesakes to some degree or another, include the Cocoon Nebula, the Crescent Nebula, the North American Nebula, the Pelican Nebula, the Soap Bubble Nebula, the Soccer Ball Nebula, the Tulip Nebula, and the Veil Nebula. One of the more unique galaxies in Cygnus is the Fireworks Galaxy, which was named for the fact that 10 supernovas went off there in the last century. By comparison, the Milky Way experienced only one supernova last century. The reason for the unusually high rate of supernovas in the Fireworks Galaxy is that an exceptionally high rate of new stars are birthed there. In 2015, one star in this galaxy, N6946-BH1, appeared to be approaching a supernova of its own, with its brightness increasing to more than one million times that of the sun's when it simply disappeared. 
It's believed the star collapsed into a black hole without first going supernova, lending weight to the theory that some very large stars are capable of bypassing the supernova stage and turning directly into a black hole. The astronomers are still attempting to locate the vanished star with no success. When it comes to Cygnus and black holes, the area of the constellation that has undoubtedly received the most attention over the years is Cygnus X-1. Cygnus X-1 was the first black hole ever detected all the way back in 1964, though it would be some more time before astronomers could be certain that a black hole was in fact what it was. Stephen Hawking and Kip Thorne actually made a friendly wager out of the debate in 1974, with Thorne arguing that it was a black hole and Hawking that it wasn't one. Hawking eventually conceded in 1990 when he realized all signs pointed in favor of his opponent's view. He did this by breaking into Thorne's office and signing their framed bet while the physicist was out of the country on business. More recently, a study published in February of 2021 shared that the Very Long Baseline Array, a collection of 10 radio telescopes spread across the US, determined that Cygnus X-1 is actually 20% farther from Earth than previously estimated. This discovery changed our understanding of some of Cygnus X-1's other measurements too. Based on the new calculations, researchers realized that it's 50% larger than previously thought now more than 20 times the mass of our own sun, and that its rate of spin approaches the speed of light faster than any other documented black hole. Cygnus X-1 is drawing mass from the blue supergiant it's locked into orbit with, either consuming the stellar matter or ejecting it into space in powerful jets. Over time, Cygnus X-1 and its companion star will move farther and farther apart. By the time the star explodes into a supernova of its own in about two and a half million years, it will likely be too far from the black hole for the two to merge. Still, that's a long time for this earliest discovered of black holes to surprise us. And if there's anything the universe has proved itself to be time and time again, it's endlessly surprising. We'll see you next time on Settle the Stars. In the meantime, happy terraforming. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like Big Picture Science and Everything Everywhere Daily. Thanks for listening. Get ready to geek out. The Wired Science Podcast explores all the latest and greatest in science. Everything from strange diseases and biological breakthroughs to interesting tech and mysteries in outer space. Listen to Wired Science today wherever you get your podcasts. That's Wired Science wherever you get your podcasts.